Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to the March 10th edition of the PFF Forecast. We have a great show, a fantastic show. Chris Sims joins us. Super generous with his time. We go through all of the quarterbacks, his top six. We even have a bonus, a seventh quarterback, his sleeper of the draft, which is is awesome. Um, it's a lot of fun. So let's rock. All right, we're going to get to Chris Sims here in a second. I want to do a speed round of like the most important things that we've heard about over the past couple of days. Okay? Are you ready? Go for it. Okay. Dak Prescott. Oh, good for Dak. Yeah, good for there, Dak. There, there's not much else Dallas could have done. I have kind of a I, – I would be – I'm going to be impressed if the Dallas Cowboys get double-digit wins each season for the next three seasons yeah but that's but that has that has more to do with drastic mismanagement oh. along the roster than it does has nothing to do with Dak yeah it is all about I think this is it's, it's Dak won in this situation yeah obviously and we saw that coming when he got tagged I just think that this kind of shines a Th- light this is on a lost him. bet for Jerry Jones and he has to pay up but yeah. here's the thing I will say this this is what makes it less egregious okay that division is utter, utter horseshit. They're terrible. So, so <laughs> if you are thinking, and and it's a shorter deal, which I think some people think benefits Dak, but of course, like if you're Dallas, this is the bet you're making: Dak, C.D. Lamb on a rookie deal, Michael Gallup on the end, on the end of a rookie deal. Dak, you know, we all talk about how bad Dallas's O line was last year. They were. They, they performed better like when Prescott yeah. was in there. And then the other thing is everybody's looking at that defense, but Dallas didn't have to give up any draft picks for this whole thing. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to like, they, they, they get some positive variance on defense and they'll be fine. They'll win the NFC East and they'll be relevant, which yeah. It, it, and the NFC is kind of flat. So yeah. I don't see it as that bad of a deal. That being said, post talk, we're all going to be like, did they pay too much for him when they end up not having enough support for him later on? Yeah, I don't think so. I have no. Pro- My thing is that I do wonder if how confident we can be that Dak has top five play, you know, for an entire season in him. But he's he's done that. He did that for twenty or more games, right? Like tw- he did two thousand nineteen. He was the third highest WAR quarterback in football, and then last season. 
he was carrying that team for like the first, what was it? When did he get hurt? Week five, week six? I mean, you're talking about, right? Because we were writing the articles after 2018. They were going on the DACUP quarterback. And Mm -hmm. we uh, we wrote like, you know, he's not worth the big term, the long-term deal. And in 2019, he played extremely well. That team led the league in yards per play on offense. Mm -hmm. And they they were bad variants, right? Like the Dallas Cowboys have mostly gotten great elite caliber quarterback play from Dak over the last year plus and elite? have gotten shit okay. variants. I think elite is strong. Uh, eight, graded, his PFF grade was 11th in 2019. It was ninth last season. Um, years before it was 19th, 18th, and then eighth his, his rookie year. So I, I don't know. I, I do yeah. think like I, I still think there's a little bit left there. I am a believer in Dak. So I think that he can I thought he made a nice improvement last year. I think he can t- continue that, but I don't think it's like a, a lock by any stretch. No, but his grade has monotonically increased every year since twenty seventeen. Um the sacks like the used, sacks were a big issue. Not, I don't want to spoil it for people, but that's your second yeah, yeah, yeah. Monot- monotonicity reference. Yeah, he, he, he took more sacks in twenty eighteen than he took in 2019 and yep. his abbreviated 2020 combined like more than almost twice as many so there have been aspects of his game that shouted for improvement that he's improved the the real question and but the real question is should you know what could they have gotten for him and i think it, as much as i'm a, i'm i'm very much about if he can elevate the play of rookie contract players around him it's worth it especially in a situation where if you open him up to a trade, tag and trade, let's say, he's probably the third most preferred quarterback on the trade market behind Wilson and behind Watson. Mm-hmm. So the, it, Dallas really got stuck here. And I think they made the best of a bad situation on their end yep. uh, financially. They should have paid him. They should have paid him this time last year, right? I mean, like. But good for Dak. I, good for Dak. Great for Dak it. because he. Um, I mean, he seems like a great, he seems, he seems like just like they just had his press conference and he said a lot of great, he seems like just a good person to have as the face of your franchise. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We're in agreement there. Um, the only other news is that we're going to pour one out for Allen Robinson. Oh yeah. I don't want to feel bad for NFL players, but like, I kind of feel bad for Allen Robinson. Yeah. I mean, dude. hopefully they get a good quarterback, but like, look, he chose Chicago over Green True. Bay. I mean, like, you know, you, you, and and he overperformed. And unfortunately, the NFL is a league where if you drastically overperform your contract, the team can hold on to you for dear life. We saw it. And the, the interesting thing is going to be, do, do they, does he, because Kirk Cousins benefited financially mm-hmm. from it immensely. We just saw Dak Prescott. Like, even somebody like Tremaine Johnson. Remember the Rams put the tag mm-hmm. on Tremaine Johnson yep. twice? Yep. And he got that big deal from the Huge Jets. Deal. And he didn't even – Tremaine Johnson didn't even play all that well in the two tag years. Yep. But there's always a team that was dumbass like the Jets. They'll sign him to a big deal. So, I think it'll end up okay for Robinson because, yeah. you know – He's going to be all right. But it, it's going to be frustrating for him, you know, getting like 55% of his passes being just, catchable. Just for us, we want to watch good football players play well. You know, so like it's always, yeah. kind of, you know, it just it it sucks to uh, see him languish there. I think those are really the big the big pieces. We'll talk more on the Sunday pod about some of the bigger takeaways and going into free agency. Yeah. They'll be more buzzed by then, I think. I think so. And um, by the way, if you're curious about free agency, I would go check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast. Trent Williams and Richard Sherman were fantastic. By the way, 
Um, somebody in the comment section on Twitter, by the way, said, you know, you're you're starting to become too big for this podcast, I hear. They were they were telling you to stop <laughs> slumming it with me on Wednesdays and Sundays. And you were very gracious in response to it. But I, I gotta say, you are I mean, we're rubbing shoulders with a former player today. Yeah. But you're talking not only to two players current, two players current on your favorite team. Hall of Famers. Hall of yeah. Oh, well, Richard Sherman's a Hall of Famer. Trent Williams probably a Hall of Famer. You're right. So too. Yeah. Um, it was. I'll be very honest with you. So first off, that person very kind of them to say this. I barely make it to this podcast. Okay. <laughs> so let's be very real. I was subbing in for Chris because there was a schedule conflict, and I was. I was not going to lie. I'm not usually nervous on those types of things anymore. Um, but I was a little nervous. You. You have. You have gotten when we first used to do stuff. You always got more nervous than me. And maybe that's just, but then you end up performing better at times than me. So it's like probably worth being more nervous. <laughs> um, but but yeah, you've you've gotten a lot more like relaxed. But the, but you were talking to two Hall of Fame players on first, your favorite team. So you should go listen to the podcast if you have not, um, because they opened up about some some really cool stuff. And I gotta say, the stuff that I found most fascinating was all of the like random tidbits and player comparisons that they have. And the way they think about other players and like some of the stories about training with Adrian yeah. Peterson and other stuff, like who they think the most athletic guys are. It, it was really fascinating. Um, so I would go check that out. Do you think that that, so just to end, obviously end this conversation, do you think that every player is like that? Because I feel like there's a, I think 10% of the players have are as thoughtful as like Richard Sherman mm -hmm. is, right? Like where they're legitimately like the student of the game to a point where they almost put any analyst to shame. But I all, but because I feel like that's because like Richard, that's what it takes to be like a guy like at Stanford where Jim Harbaugh right. didn't even like, didn't even puff it, puff him up. He ran like a four, five, four, six, and he's going to end up being the oh, best cornerback of his generation that sort of mindset that you need to have, I feel like is necessary. And do you, I, I wonder if you, if what percentage, what of percentage of players are, are that thoughtful? No, I don't think it's many. I will say this though. I think it's a lot higher of a percentage than people in the public assume. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is what has stuck out to me. First off in hearing Richard talk every single week, it, no joke. The guy takes in the notes that we send him reads through them he did this before the trent williams conversation so I, I sent him some notes some questions he reads through them he digests them he basically memorized them didn't look at them once during the podcast and did an, a, a phenomenal job of creating that conversation which is harder to do than people yeah. will give it credit for especially for a guy whose mind is on performing on the football field 24 yeah. 7. so i think it's it's certainly not a high percentage because richard sherman trent williams was yeah really and offensive linemen are the smartest people on the field, I feel Dude, like, on average. Listening to Trent Williams talk about the game of football was, yeah, I, my mind was blown. Um, but it's definitely what I've taken away from that podcast is there's a greater number of football players who, when you listen to them talk and you actually have a conversation with them, you're like, holy shit. Like, yeah, this, this is person, their profession. <laughs> this person is a genius, yeah, yeah, like yeah. with yeah. respect to the game of football, and we do not give them enough credit yeah. for it. Um, so yeah, anyways, yeah, that, that's not a pitch for going to listen to that yeah, podcast. Yeah. I don't know what is. You should definitely stick with us and listen to this podcast, though, with Chris Sims. Great conversation. Here we go with the man himself. All right, we're going to get to Chris Sims in just one second. But I've got to tell you about uh, the offer that DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook has right now. Because I'm trying to give you guys the opportunity to 
stockpile some cash so you can bet it on draft props. We're gonna talk about a couple props that we're gonna like based on this conversation with Chris Sims. Um, this is the deal. Use promo code PFF when you sign up at DraftKings on their sportsbook, the top-rated sportsbook app, I should add. Bet on any college basketball underdog. $4 to win $256. It's super freaking simple. And college basketball is just underdogs winning all the time, basically, as long as you don't you know, pick against Gonzaga. So you get that $256, and then you go bet it on draft props. Listen to this podcast. You'll get a bunch of winners. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, so go download the app. Use promo code PFF when you sign up. Turn $4 into $256 with any college basketball underdog winner. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, Pennsylvania only. New customers are the only ones that are eligible. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And the last reminder for you folks is if you do not have a PFF draft guide, go get one right now. It comes with any Edge or Elite subscription. Go to PFF.com. Get it now so you can prepare for the draft. And by the way, that annual subscription takes you all the way through next football season. Um, anyone that knows anything about football is not going through the draft without it. I don't want to leave you guys alone. So pff.com, go get it. And now we're going to get to Chris Sims. All right. We are joined by long time coming friend of the podcast, Chris Sims, uh, PFT live, the unbuttoned podcast, NBC sports. You can find him all over Chris. They're working you hard over there, man. You're on Notre Dame. You're on football night in America. Fred Gadelli, Rob Hyland. Those guys are working you to the bone, man. I'm just glad you could fit us in. Uh, I mean, they are. I'm not going to lie. You're right. They did take Notre Dame off my plate this past year, which was nice. I mean, you know, again, I, it's, it's a great honor to go to Notre Dame and be a part of that. But I think, as you guys know, like my life is all NFL. So I would be like that would be the biggest stress in my life. I would be, you know, Sunday through Thursday, NFL, NFL, NFL. And I'd get on a plane Thursday night and I'd be like, oh, crap, wait, uh, who's Notre Dame playing? Let me start watching film. And I'd have to, you know, dig deep and start really studying to catch up and get up to speed with college football. So I'm happy I'm all NFL and, and just the draft and free agency and all that stuff. But thanks that, for having me, guys. That reminded me of the time when George and I, early on in our time here, would have to give out a gambling pick of the week for college football. <laughs> and, and George. <laughs> George didn't know. I mean, he knew three players. I knew three quarterbacks. And the quarterbacks yeah, yeah, that were going to get right. drafted, and that that was how you got me to watch yeah. a college football game. Ian Book was not cutting it for me. Yeah, yeah. So I, I could, I feel your pain. I mean, college is really the is a tough one because not only that, the, the rosters are big and like the injury right. information isn't standardized. Like it's it's the, harder. The play, actually, it's it's not too dissimilar from college basketball, where the play is just overall not that great. Yeah. You know, I, I agree. You agree. It's, it, I'm with you. You're right. It's it's uh, more players to, to figure out. You want to balance not being too harsh on the players because they They're are kids. college kids and all that. Right. And and I, I'm like you, George. I, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a like sit down on Saturday afternoon and watch college football all day. You know, I do NFL all week. I got a 14 year old daughter, a 10 year old boy. I got, you know, a, a wife. I'm not going to be like, hey, see you guys. I'm not going to talk to you on this one day. I'm home here and uh, screw off. I got to watch. I feel. I feel seen. College watcher. Yeah, uh, Eric has two children, and uh, they don't see him on Saturday. I, I feel seen. <laughs> well, no, they see him. He does not see them. <laughs> right. That's a typical dad move. Way to go. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Sorry. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting roasted right it's, now. It's okay. Um, your sharpness on college football is appreciated by me. I, I do appreciate you grind through it. We are. 
going to talk about some former, soon to be pro, but former college quarterbacks. Because Chris, you hit me up like a month ago and you're like, hey, I'm about to dig in. I'm, I'm going in on the draft. Um, made sure your, your PFF Ultimate account was ready to rock. Right. And I said, hey, man, as soon as you get these guys in order, let's, let's talk. Because here's the funny thing is, so Eric and I try to approach this, you know, using numbers and math to inform our decisions. And oftentimes it gets us roasted, for lack of a better term, on social media. But even within PFF, like people be like, you guys are fucking nuts, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. So like we really appreciate the, um, the unique perspective and like sticking to, hey, this is the process that I believe in and I'm going to tell you my results and we're going to talk about them. So right. uh, could you start by taking us through your process for how you got your quarterback rankings? Right. All right. So, I mean, you know, the first thing is, you know, to just to play off a little what you said there. I mean, you know, you're ranking players and doing that all the time. You're, you're not going to be right all the time. You know, so I, I, I'm not like going into it going, oh, my gosh, I hope I get all of these right and pass the test. Like, I, I realize I might be wrong here or there, but I just, again, have the confidence in the, in the fact that I, I've been around it my whole life. You know, I did grow up around Phil Sims, who was being taught by, you know, Bill Parcells and company. I've gotten the opportunity to, like, you know, catch footballs from Dan Marino and Tom Brady and Brett Favre and those kind of guys as I was growing up. And, of course, I played and. I've been around it. Um, so I am confident, at least in, from that standpoint, to go, wait, I've been around it. I see what it takes to be a starting quarterback and the qualities that are, you know, positives and negatives and all of that. Uh, I have a decent history of being right about some of the diamonds in the rough as far as, like, you know, being unpopular picks and all that. But I think when I get down to, like, the process, um, and, and, and I've gotten some wrong too. I, I don't sit here to try to like sit on my high horse. So one of my things on my podcast is self scouting thyself to where I go, wait, what did I get wrong? Where was I wrong? And let's dive into that. When it comes to the quarterback stuff, George, you know, the first thing I do, I really just want to see talent, raw talent. That's where I start. I almost will watch like, you know, the POAs or, or a highlight tape of just the positive things to go, okay, wait, all right, this is, this kid is capable of this. Mm -hmm. All right, now let's start to dive in and really dissect, you know, the motion. You know, what's, how consistent of a thrower is he when he's throwing a 15-yard a in cut or a 15-yard out route and it's there to be had and it's open, how many times does he hit the bullseye and throw it in there the, right, the proper way? Okay, that's good. There we go. Okay, now let's go to tight windows. And things like that. Ooh, tight windows. All right. Hell, this guy can, he fits it in tight windows too. I like that. Then I get into the aspect of like, and that, you know, I would cl clarify all that as taking advantage of all that's there to be had, right? Mm -hmm. And then I go into a process a little bit of, okay, let's make sure we're realistic. You know, I know we're going to look at wins and stats and things like that. But in these poorer games, was it realistic? for me to think that this guy could do more. Mm -hmm. You know, I always go back to like Patrick Mahomes in that draft in 2017. I came out and that was like, oh, he's the guy. He's the guy. And I kept, everybody kept coming to me and going, well, what about the TCU game? Mm -hmm. And I would go, well, yeah, what about it? I watched the game. I mean, you could put Superman or John Elway in there. Nothing's going to change. It, there was nobody mm -hmm. open. He was under pressure. It was a tough day. Their team won. It's a team sport. 
So on those negatives, I do ask myself realistically, wait, was it realistic for this person to succeed and do that? Okay, no, you know, or yes, whatever that is there. Oh man, there was people open. He had a, pat, a bad day and there was people open all over the place. And man, that concerns me. And then the, the last part, and sorry for the long answer, no, it's just a little bit of, I also am big into what happens when there's nothing there to be had. Hmm. Oh, the pass protection's not good. Oh, there's really not anybody open and things like that. Because for more times than not, you know, unless you're on a really good team in the NFL, you're going to have a lot of plays like that in the NFL. And that's to me where the Rodgers and the Mahomes and the Josh Allen separate themselves. Oh, protection's not good. Everybody's covered. Oh, they dodge a guy and zoom, there goes a 30-yard rifle down the field. And you go, whoa, that was a, a shit play. Sorry, am I allowed to swear? Yes, um, you're good. <laughs> good, thank you. So you go, oh, there was a shit play, but they got 30 yards out of it because yeah. the quarterback's special. Yeah. So I try to take all that into account and some other things along the way that I'm probably forgetting, but hopefully that answered the question. Well, and I, th I think that that's a good way to think because obviously football is so rife with observation bias, right? Yeah. Like, and, right. And, and Zach Wilson, you know, obviously is somebody who – while his, I think, schedule wasn't very good, he did have a lot of opportunities to do what you described, which is to throw yes. off a bad platform and to make plays when the play broke down. He also didn't have, let's be frank, a great supporting cast. And yes. I also think that that's where, when you look at your rankings and you have Kellen Mond fourth, I believe, which, it honestly, I was looking at our raw mathematical projections, and we have Mond ahead of of Lance too, like mm -hmm. for a, a lot of similar reasons in the sense that playing in the SEC every week, especially uh -huh. in 2020 when you don't, none of these players really got a chance to pad their stats against non-conference teams, right? When they're playing a shortened schedule, right. you're, you're getting in a situation where a lot of times the players you're playing with are overmatched on a regular basis. And so right. the question for Mond of, and I don't watch the film nearly as much as you guys do, but like the, as far as did the play break down, the answer is going to be yes more for Kellen Mond because he's his entire team, even though that team was pretty good, is overmatched in the SEC way more than Trey Lance's in obviously at NDSU, no but even at a certain extent, uh, Trevor Lawrence in the ACC, which people give the ACC a bump, but that conference is actually pretty it weak now. It stinks, and, right? Exactly and, right, and, Eric. It stinks. Other than two teams, you're right. And so, so when we look at that stuff again, it, you put it in the context. Same thing's true about Mac Jones. Although the difference with Mac Jones is the players he's playing with are far better. Now he had worse receivers than Tua did, right? Tua right. had four guys, including the two guys that Mac had for half the year and the one guy that Mac had the whole year. But but at the same time, you're facing great competition. So, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't mind this as much. I think we were a little bit higher on fields, but again, there's some things about fields that are troubling. The fact is he takes longer to throw against the blitz than against not the blitz. That's a right. huge red flag for me and all that kind of right. stuff. So, I mean, I think you can defend a lot of these, a lot of these. I think it's to your point, like this is going to shake out. We look at the way things drafted this year, you went Burrow to a, Herbert, Herbert's probably the favorite to be the best of those three guys. And so every single year, the rankings don't well, end up at, being. Look at the year, uh, two years before with the Baker, Lamar, you know, at, like. That is, that's like one of those graphs that have changed yo -yo every year. Exactly. So, so anybody th that, that has a ranking that ends up being different than consensus, generally speaking, is probably 
adding a good data set to our observation because the world is noisier than we like to think it is. Yeah. Well, I, I agree. I mean, you, you said a lot of good things there, Eric. I mean, I, I look at, you know, a lot of what you said the same way, you know, and to dive into that. Like I, I had I took a lot of shit last year. I had Herbert over to it. I kept saying it's not even close, you know, and Herbert is that guy we're talking about where you go, man, the offense stinks. There's not a lot of open people. The numbers aren't going to always look good, but even the incompletions to me look good where I went, okay, it was uncovered. He put the ball in a spot where maybe his guy could get it or no one got it. And, you know, sometimes, and I'm not trying to knock anything, but sometimes the numbers can look at that as a negative. And I go, no, he kind of threw that ball exactly where he wanted to. This was the only chance he had to get a completion and do that. And I, that's what I, you know, I want to make clear too, because this is what I, people try to go, you're a shock jock, or you're just trying to do this to get, you know, notoriety. Absolutely not. I, I First off, I don't give a damn about social media. I love what I do. I like being right more than anything. I go into the process with zero bias. That's the first thing people got to do when you evaluate quarterbacks. You can't go into the process going, oh, I really want to like this guy, and I don't want to like this guy. Well, if you go into it that way, you're going to find reasons not to or like that guy. You can't do that and be you know, prisoner to that. I took a lot of crap with that same thing in the draft with Lamar and Josh Allen. Mm -hmm. They were my top two guys. I was a huge Josh Allen fan. So it's not a perfect process. It's not. you got to kind of put things together and piece them together the way you're talking about it. And last thing is, like, I went Burrow and Murray won the last two drafts. That was chalk. I wasn't trying to, like, shake things up. And, E, I loved your point about the talent level of BYU. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, yes, I wish he would have played against better talent, too. But to me, throwing into a tight window or throwing to a guy covered is the same no matter what. He's a high-level athlete. You know, he, Ben Roethlisberger at Miami, Ohio, Josh Allen in Wyoming, you know, Phil Simms, Moorhead State, all those guys, <laughs> they're going to adjust to the receiver and the DB being a hair faster and still be able to put the ball where they need to. And he makes a lot of those plays like you talked about where there's nothing there and you go, whoa, like with Zach Wilson, you go, holy shit, what a throw there. Whoa, what great feat to move and throw that ball sidearm. And not a knock on Trevor Lawrence or Mac Jones or anything like that. But to your point, once again, you know, there's great freedom in knowing you're on the better team on the field every, uh, every yeah. game. And there's great freedom in, ah, oh, you know, I missed that five yard out. I should have hit it. He was wide open, but oh, it doesn't matter because somebody will be wide open the next player. We'll throw a screen or I'll hand it off to Travis ATN and he'll get 20 yards and we forget about the missed throw and things like that. So you said a lot of good things that I really agree with. And well, sorry that I'm talking so much. Do you think? Do you think that that helps also? Because you know, as somebody who played, right, like that that influences a quarterback's career too. Like you know, when you know when Patrick Mahomes got to Kansas City, that's a team that was a winner, and that's a team that even though their defense was bad early on. To what you said, not every throw was life or death. Every single right. throw for Sam Darnold is life or death for the Jets. Yeah. If they get behind seven nothing, they're fucked. Like they're screwed. Like they have no right. So there's so much more pressure there. Whereas what you're talking about with Lawrence, and you're talking about with Mac Jones, you're talking about right. 
like there okay there's a freedom there in in sort of being able to make mistakes and mistakes are sort of the mistakes in any walk of life are the best because they allow you to accumulate data and they allow you to get better and there are some there are some players who when you watch them play you're like gosh this guy is just not letting it rip because he's he's in such a shitty circumstance that right. you know that it, it doesn't give rise to much in the way of like greatness I you know yeah no, it, it goes back to the old saying where I always say, George, I always go, with Sam Darnold, I say this all the time. I go, when you're surrounded by shit, you're going to get some shit on you and smell like shit. I don't know what you expect. I mean, and he had no support to be able to do that and everything to your, you know, they, they dropped the ball. I'm still a believer in Sam Darnold. You know, right now I go, no, let's draft Zach Wilson and go. But I, I, I think Sam Darnold could still be a really good starting quarterback. You can win a Super Bowl with Sam Darnold. The, the Jets did him, a, 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 you know, uh, didn't do him justice by the lack of support. They never let him flourish or give him talent to really see what he has and what he's capable of being. That's why I am. You'll always hear me go like, I think Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. You know, I don't know, and maybe Patrick Mahomes is going to challenge that here soon. But Rodgers. To your point, Eric, I feel like for the most part of his career is how to play that way. Like, oh, I got to throw a bullseye. Oh, I got I to gotta dance around in the pocket for six seconds because no one's open. I mean, he wasn't doing that because he was like, this is cool and I look cool on TV. He was part of a crappy offense that didn't have a ton of talent. Yeah. And he was all, all, he's always, for the most part, unless they were just totally outclassed as a team, to even the scales because of some of those things you, you just talked about. Well, it's interesting because I, I want to push back a little bit on some of the things you yeah, guys said. Cool. The first is you look at – so when I'm thinking about Zach Wilson versus um, Trevor Lawrence, I think you guys brought up some really interesting points about the competition, which I think is right. the thing that everyone's overlooking, right? The ACC was not very good. And there is that you go into it and you say a lot of people want to like Trevor Lawrence. Like you could go and do a podcast being like, I don't like – I don't want to like the guy who's got his shirt buttoned up all the way. Or I don't want to like the guy who's got a right. headband that says any team, any place, anywhere, right? Who goes That's to a right. school. Yeah. You know, like right. that. So you, a lot of people went into it thinking that way. But I will say this, and I'm curious your guys' thoughts. Trevor Lawrence has been ordained in a similar way that I want to say a LeBron was. Where when LeBron was in high school, he had pressure on him every single time he stepped on the court where he knew if he missed an open receiver or an open layup or a dunk or a three yeah. or whatever, everyone's going to talk about it. And right. I feel like Lawrence has had that pressure. Now, his numbers have not been as good as people, you know, want yeah. to think they have been, especially last year. And, and this year we're a little less disappointing. But doesn't that count for something? The fact that he was the guy and for every game that he stepped on the field was the guy, whereas Zach Wilson – Zach Wilson, no one even knew what he was doing. He was out there playing at recess. Sure. No, George, I, 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 I'm with you. I'm not going to argue that any of that, what you just said. You know, first off, I, and I, I, you know, everybody just sees my rankings and they go, oh, this is an indictment on Trevor. Right, it's right. not. Trevor Lawrence is awesome. I, I've said, if anybody listened to my podcast and how I break it down, I said he's, he's worthy of the number one pick. He is definitely worthy. I expect him to be the number one pick. With Urban Meyer and the offense I expect him to run, he really fits that. So I got no issue with that. I'm just saying I like Zach Wilson a little bit more. But you're, you're right. He's been asked to succeed and performed on the biggest stages in college football, and he handles himself 
really the right way no matter what. He never gets too high. He never gets too low. And uh, th- that aspect, yeah, I love that demeanor about him and, and, and the fact of what he can translate to the NFL as being a franchise superstar quarterback. I, I will say, though, when he proposed, he probably could have gotten a little lower Knee did not quite touch grass. Yeah, but wasn't proposal. he wearing like white pants? I feel no, like he was not I, wearing yeah. white pants. <laughs> I feel like that would have been. <laughs> but, but I've, I've but, talked about the level of nitpicking with Lawrence. So so let's let's dive in here. So you have yeah. Wilson and Lawrence. Now you would take Wilson one if you were the Jags. I I, I mean I would. I think okay. Wilson to me is Mahomes or Rogers, mm-hmm. where I just go, man. Who's Trevor Lawrence? The consistency of throwing yeah. is there every time. The power in the arm is wowing at times where I just go, whoa. You know, you know, his feet and ability to move and make throws off of awkward platforms is as good as I've seen since Mahomes coming out in the draft. You know, so that I, I do. I love that aspect about him. I think his game translates more to the NFL hmm. uh, and and the fact that He's maybe in a little bit more of a pro offense, and the way he can dissect and go through reads, it's it's impressive. You know, Lawrence, it is a little more of a college offense, yes. and he didn't have to go through those reads that way sometimes. It was a little like fake the screen and throw the go yep. right up the sideline. And all, you know, were, were very impressive throws. There's no doubt about that. You know, but, too, you know, to your point, too, George, like, you know, Cle- Clemson's really good. They they started a freshman for a few games this year. Oh, yeah. Damn, they took the number four team in football. You're, uh, Clemson's going to be really good next year, too. They are. So, 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 you know, again, don't put all this. We're in this era right now. We put all this success on the quarterback. If the team wins, we go quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. If they lose, we go quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. And then, you know, we turn around the next segment and go, this is the greatest team sport there is in America. <laughs> and you go, well, that's not what we're talking about. I don't know. It's, so it's just crazy to me that way. But I love Trevor Lawrence. He's got size, George. Size is a skill. He can throw over the line of scrimmage. Now he can I throw with people around him. Right? He's got yep. that over Zach Wilson for sure. Yep. His arm is legit. And there's some untapped potential. He's got some a few mechanical flaws. Like you were talking about the stats and things like that are a little more underwhelming than people realize. That was the thing that jumped out to me mm-hmm. when I started to break him down. I just went, ooh, he misses more throws than I realized watching on TV over the last few years. But not to the point where I'm like, oh, man, there's real trouble here. No, it's still a lot of big-time throws outside the number, down the field. Uh, back shoulder throws that I look at and I go, hey, this guy has got an incredibly high floor and an incredibly high ceiling and, and certainly worthy of the number one pick. Well, and we've seen, we've seen guys who were, weren't making every throw in college who guys like me and guys like George would ding for accuracy metrics and stuff find a home like Buffalo where the team played into the strengths and allowed the quarterback to grow nonlinearly right. into the system. Right. Chris, like you, you played the game and you, you know, you, you got, you got into different situations. You played for three teams and, and it, and I think you more than anybody on this show could talk about the situation where it's also the marriage of team and player. And, and we oftentimes evaluate people post hoc way more sometimes, you know, it's a Darnold situation. Yeah. Yeah, Team, a team bus. Chris is over here quoting my freshman philosophy book yeah, yeah, yeah. about, you know, a shit, team, shit getting on you. A team busts more, I think, than the player busts. Let's yeah, yeah. say that. 
And so when you look at this draft and you look at maybe the way it's going to shake out, what's a player that who's a player that might not succeed in an average circumstance, but could succeed with a team that's picking, let's say, in the top 12. And who's a player who could have succeeded, let's say a la Darnold, could have succeeded in average circumstances, but might struggle with the team that drafts him? Yeah, okay. So, like, for, like you're, I mean, listen, you, you said a lot of good things there. The first thing I'll say is you're right. Like, there's, there's plenty of situations where you look at where, uh, go, hey, the, the, the team dropped the ball. They didn't support this guy the right way. You look at Lamar Jackson and what they did for him right away, right? That got him going. You already brought up Mahomes, both of you. I mean, that's spot on. He took over a team that was the number two seed in the AFC playoffs. He got to be the quarterback for that team. So he was set up for success. Now, there's other guys where I can get into where, like, let's go back to the Blake Bortles days and all that. And I go, I don't give a fuck what system you put him in and what team you put him in. It ain't going to work. You know, one of the big things for playing quarterback is being able to throw the football. And when you can't throw the football, I don't give a shit what team you're on. So that's the one I look at, you know, as far as that. So you want a guy, say that again to me because I'm not that smart and I couldn't follow it all. So you want to go ahead one more time. Yeah, who's a guy who, if given the right right system, he might not look great on the average, right? Like, but right. like, take Jared Goff. Jared Goff looked like dog shit in the first year he played for LA. Yeah. But you gave him Sean McVay, and he sure. was legit good for yeah. a couple of years. I'm, earned. And a I'm contract. asking this question, thinking about the Niners at yeah, twelve. Yeah, exactly. Right? Is there is there a quarterback who sticks sticks out to you as somebody who you might not like? You might not want to draft, but you're thinking to yourself, look, quarterbacks who are taken in the first round are such an economic benefit that I could build a system where this guy gets me Kirk Cousins' level of production at a third you. of the price. Right. All right. So, I mean, listen, you've heard my top five, my top six, right? Yep. Okay. So, uh, again, just to so everybody, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, uh, Kellen Mond. Then I went Justin, Justin Fields Field and Trey Lance, yep. right? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to use any of those guys Ooh. right there. The guy that would fit that mold to me just a little bit to where you go – I don't think he's got the high-end talent as any of those guys or anything like that, and he'll never get it. There's no way. But the kid from Stanford could be that at oh, one wow. point, right? He could be your Kirk Cousins where, yeah, he's a mid-round draft pick, but if you put him on the right team, he knows how to play the position. He's got a pretty good – you know, it's a solid arm. It's not great. He's a solid athlete, but he could be a guy. You put him on a team with a system and some talent around him, and we could all be sitting here maybe four or five years from now going, damn, he was better than we expected or some of that. Yeah, so that's Dave, Davis He's Mills. also that guy, if you put him in a crappy situation, I go, yeah. no, I promise you he's going to look like crap. He doesn't have the talent yeah. to overcome some of the obstacles. And to me, that's where Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson are the slam dunks no, number one. Here, here's a question. Uh, Davis Mills, real quick, Davis Mills, who he's talking about, yeah. was a five-star recruit out yeah. of Atlanta and right. went to Stanford and, you know, Injury shortened yeah. career, so you haven't seen a lot. But like, you know, was an elite eleven guy made it to the similar, finals there. Similar projection in our system to Kellen Mond, yeah. Which you know, Kellen Mond is a, a good a good prospect. That that's an interesting question because I know the the CBA in 2011 really screwed over developmental quarterbacks. Right? There's no third quarterback designation anymore. Right. The the teams the Packers were so off the wall when they took Jordan Love and not only sat him behind Rodgers but behind. Um, uh, Tim Boyle, their second guy, yeah. 
Um, I wonder with the money the way it is currently with the with the salary cap, do teams is is the Matt Castle era type backup quarterback over because those guys cost you know million like five six million dollars mm-hmm. in the case of uh, Daniel, it's yeah. like double digit millions. Yeah, yeah. Do we maybe see guys like teams just saying, look? You know, go with Tom Moore's quote about Peyton Manning. If our quarterback gets hurt, we're fucked anyway. We yeah. might as well have Davis Mills be our two. We don't, we don't practice and, fucked. And, and, you know, draft a number of these guys in the back half of the draft yeah. and just have roll with them. And that would give some of these guys an opportunity because the, the, the era of quarterbacks like Jake DeLome, Kurt Warner, um, you know, guys that were good enough to get their teams to Super Bowl, like they're not that we're not seeing that as frequently anymore because teams have not felt the you know the um economic yeah. incentive to take chances right. on these guys and i think we're missing out on a few gi- you know diamonds Wait. tony romo would not have had the same right. opportunity that he now that he had back when he played for parcells I, I, he would not where would you take davis mills chris i i think somewhere in the mid i think you know third fourth round you get into that conversation i think that's like realistically and you know again i haven't cracked through all the other positions in the mm-hmm. draft mm-hmm. yet to get a feel for that type of thing. But I think that's where it would be. To me, he is that next guy up after the big six. But I don't expect it to be an end of the second round or anything like that, unless there's a team that loves him. But I, yeah, I look at it as third, fourth, somewhere in that range right there. And, yeah, you can you know, let him develop just a little. But you know, okay, he's a backup. Great. And we know we can depend on when we need him. And let's see if we can maybe just improve him a little to where one day maybe if he is a starter, he can become something. And, Eric, I think, you know, you're spot on with what all, everything you said there. And, and you are. You're, you, you kind of laid out all the circumstances the right way. To me, the only teams or the teams that need, like, really, really good backups, right, to where I would pay a little bit of money is a team that you know you're, in the, you're a Super Bowl team, mm-hmm. right, like the Saints the last few years. We're a Super Bowl team. We're not going to just risk it on, like, if Drew Brees goes down, it's like, oh, fuck you, the season's over, see right. you next year. Yep. You don't make that mistake. The 49ers made that mistake, in my opinion, this year. That, that was a mistake. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo's injury prone. They rolled with two guys where I'd go, well, damn, I don't know what you expected. I, I don't. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's very real. And, you know, that's why if the 49ers keep Jimmy Garoppolo, that'd be a team where I'd go – uh, or let's say even the Tennessee Titans, another team where I go, sign up Mitchell Trubisky. Have, get a guy that's back there to where, okay, we got a guy. He can play four or five games. We're not saying we're going to win them all, but we can win more than we lose and at least, like, um, you know, weather the storm until our starter gets back. Yeah, yeah, there's just a knockoff effect for, like, I remember there was one season where Case Keenum got cut by St. Louis, spent the season with the Chargers, and then was signed back by St. Louis in December and starting two games that were the difference between the Texans making the playoffs or not. Mm-hmm. And like John Skelton did the almost the exact opposite thing. Like he was signed by the Rams and then cut by the like and and he's starting a playoff game and it's like that can't be good for quarterbacks to constantly be shuffling systems. To me it's like it's a no-brainer that like the fifth cornerback that is running that is playing vice on punt team is nowhere near as valuable as like cultivating the next like like I said Jake DeLome or you know even like you guys like you were you played for Gruden when he would carry four or five quarterbacks I still think that's extremely smart because eventually like you're going to get one of those guys to pop up and be a competent like Matt Moore's win against the Minnesota Vikings last season 
got the yeah. Chiefs the one the two seed and a bye back when that got a bye and was right. instrumental in their Super Bowl. To your point, like those players matter, but the issue is is there's just like teams are just not like cultivating no, these right. players at all. Your ability to no. bring it back to the Chiefs, I know, it's, is it's, honestly, it's, it's it, Chris. Since uh, Eric and I have started doing this podcast, Eric will bring the Chiefs into it. We could be talking about like. <laughs> anything like riding a bike by the beach and the chiefs would come up somehow some way um okay so here's what i want to do i want to give you what i think based on your rankings your tiers might be and yeah. correct me you know adjust as, as as we go here so i'm guessing your tier one is wilson and lawrence right agreed okay and then this is where i get a little a little fuzzy so i'm <laughs> gonna say that tier two is mac jones alone Yes or no? I'm gonna put. I'm gonna say no and okay. say no. I'm putting Kellen Mond in tier two. Okay. You know, like Kellen Mond, and just to hit on it. Yeah. You know, I don't understand why there's not more talk about the guy. I don't. You know, and I, I think Eric hit it a little bit before. You know, it's it's to me he's like he's he could be the Dak Prescott that everybody misses out on. Hmm. First, there's talent there. There is an arm and a release that is special and accuracy and needs very little space in the pocket to make big throws. And to like what Eric was saying before, you know, they weren't always like the most talented team on the field, nor do I look at Jimbo Fisher's offense and just go, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's as creative as, you know, Alabama or Clemson that way either. So I'm going to put him in tier two with Mac Jones. My only negative with Colin Kellen Mond is I wish he just wouldn't stand in the pocket at times and be, you know, uh, so robotic that way. Like he's mm -hmm. such a good athlete. I want to be like, dude, get out of the pocket, make a move, do something. You know, he's trying to be Johnny quarterback and going one to two to three. And I'm like, okay, one to two to three. And you're too fucking fast. Take off and do something, throw the ball on the run or whatever. That was my only negative, but sorry to interrupt. That yeah, would be yeah. my, my, they're, they're my tier two. There's a, there's a marker here that that's similar to the Mahomes um, Mon's completion percentage up monotonically year to year. Um, 51 and a half as a freshman, played a lot as a freshman. You know, over 12 percentage points from one. You look at Mahomes' data, it's very similar to that. When you're looking at a player oh. that over the course of his career got better and better and better, which I, I'm interested, I, I haven't done the study, but I'm interested to see like what that ends up meaning. Um, that, that's very interesting to your point. I wonder if there was some coaching there that basically said, you know, hey, if you want to look like an NFL quarterback this season, do this. But to yeah. your point, like the NFL is so much more of a mobile quarterback league that maybe, maybe that was just bad advice. Yeah, it was interesting. Well, it, I, I yeah. looked at And that's an easy fix to me. Like, well, I know we're really? going to talk about Fields and Lance here in a second. And I'm going to tell you some of their issues where I go, if that's Mon's only issue, we, we can work on that. And huh. really, even though it's a little robotic, the mechanics of him throwing are really spot on. And to, to another thing you said, Eric, there, yeah, just when I watch it, you know, the accuracy and placement of the ball, it, it's almost, he almost always throws it exactly where he wants to. It almost goes into the Justin Herbert thing, too, where I go into like incompletions and I go, that, I, that was a good spot. He put the ball in the right spot. He didn't want to throw an interception. He didn't want to, you know, take his team out of the game and put them in a bad spot. Like, that was a good decision. I, I, I was, that was one of the ones I was like blown away by. 
I did not expect to love Kellen Mond like that. Like I said, I don't go into this with preconceived notions. His sack rate taken every single year is also he only took eight sacks last year. Yeah, I think it, that that's a very good dramatically, and, yeah. and that's an important yeah. thing because oftentimes we look at you know. So I'm looking at like where you know um, his turnover worthy play rate was really low. You know, so despite the fact that he wasn't, so when you're not taking sacks, you're throwing the ball more. <laughs> you know, so like yeah. that's where you can get into a lot of trouble. Um, right. It was interesting. I looked at um, you know accuracy, regardless of whether the ball was caught or not, on basically like five plus yard throws downfield when a receiver had either a step of separation or less. So no wide open throws. Yeah. And what was interesting is that you look at a lot of these guys like for Mac Jones that like takes out you know like. So many of his throws were wide open. Yeah. Yeah. And right. for Kellen Mond, it almost doesn't change at all because almost all of his throws were of that sort where he was throwing yes, to a guy were. that that didn't have a lot of separation. I thought that was really interesting. And his numbers year to year are not all that dissimilar from Trevor Lawrence accuracy wise, which really shocked me. It shocked me more from the Trevor Lawrence angle until I saw you talking about Mond, honestly. But then when I went back and looked, I was like, oh, that's that's really interesting. So that means there's a bit of a separation there between Mond and Fields and Lance, who I'm assuming yeah. are tier three. And I want you to yeah. talk a little bit about that because we last year were making a case that, hey, Fields should be in the conversation, if not ahead of Trevor Lawrence. And people were very angry about that. So what is it with Lance and Fields where you go, I'm just not seeing it from them compared to Mond and Jones? Right. Well, I think there's just there's there's things they need to work on for me to feel comfortable about them all the way. There's some high end elite traits that you look at and I go, man, I love it. I like I love it. So I don't like, you know, again, I think Fields is a first round pick still. Now, I think it's later on in the first round. I think Lance is probably a guy I look at to be in the second round. Really, my biggest thing is and I'll just hit on Lance because I, I think there's there's probably less to talk about. I'll just hit on that first. Lance, I mean, his arm is really powerful. I mean, the ball explodes out of his hands. He has, you know, mechanical, one little mechanical issue that I don't love. But as a whole, his mechanics and his placement of the ball, I found to be more consistent than Justin Fields. Hmm. But the big thing that scares me with Lance is this. You know, one game this past year, the year before that, like you already talked about, they're clearly the better team on the field all the time, and they didn't really even ever put the game in his hands that way. Right. They were a run-first football team. Mm -hmm. And when he did drop back to throw, a lot of it was like, hey, play action, and we designed you to throw it to this guy right here. And he could throw some really impressive throws. But there's less NFL type of throws and things that it just, to me – there needs to be growth there, let alone there's some games in 2019 where, I mean, he only throws the ball like 12 times, 12 times. 15 yeah. times. So <laughs> lack of reps would scare the shit out of me with Trey Lance as far as like, oh, we're going to make him a first-round pick and make him a starter right now this year for our team. I, I, I couldn't do that. Well, it's it's also one of the reasons like we always shied away from betting, against, betting uh, on Lamar Jackson in playoff games was because we just don't have enough data in him being playing from behind. Like you just right. like you don't have like every single time where you play from ahead, there's the threat of play action. There's the credible threat of a run. There's yes. and, and one thing I noticed about Lance in 2019, which I wrote about in the on PFF.com, he had more yards passing on balls that traveled over 20 yards in the air 
than he did on balls traveling between 10 and 19, which <laughs> no means, doubt. again, you're looking at 10 and 19. That's like a double. You got to be able to hit doubles in, in Major it's, League Baseball it's to hit home runs. Every great quarterback right. and, and, kills and, and football yeah. in football. The guys that kill 10 to 19 consistently, they're the great quarterbacks. And right. and 20 yards plus, a lot of that stuff is you're playing FCS teams. And I don't know if you've watched any of the FCS. If you're not watching it in the fall, you're not watching FCS in the spring. But the coverage for FCS players, I mean, those guys what could backpedal worse than you, George. Well, and, and, but I'm an athlete. And, and, then, and so you're getting wide open throws. You're not putting it in the sort of windows necessarily. Exactly. And, and like you said, NDSU plays 17-3 games mm -hmm. like and, and I just don't know if I if I really want to buy into a quarterback who's only been able to win a game that would like it honestly resembled like your dad felt like their game the Giants back in the 80s like where you're sure. playing defense and running the ball and the quarterbacks taking deep shots like that's not necessarily how football's played anymore right that's a good no, point. no I agree and you're right though I mean what you said there Lance a lot of those throws too their game plan like hey we know if we get them in this defense and run this fake we're only going to send two guys out here. And, yeah, he can throw a pretty ball, and it can be really impressive. But you, you, I need the more of the meat and the potatoes mm -hmm. and that stuff like you're talking about. I mean, you're only going to get a, a throw or two like that, you know, every other week or once a game or something like that. So you can't put all your eggs into, like, well, he throws that deep post route really awesome. Okay, well, i got to see everything else. That's where, I, I, you know, again, I like the talent. The athlete's phenomenal. There's a, it's a strong arm, but there's not a lot of true quarterback play, and that's and reps and all that scare me. Now, do you want me to go to Justin Fields yes, now, or do you want I, to ask? I am more? dying to know your just because I, yeah. I feel as though Justin Fields is getting sure. a lot of scrutiny. That, for example, Trevor Lawrence, and you're giving Trevor Lawrence a, a fair amount of scrutiny. But I see a decent amount of scrutiny for Justin Fields that I don't think is being levied on Trevor Lawrence and that everyone wants to bring up how OSU's offense is gimmicky as hell. And as you, as you talked about, go right. watch Clemson play, <laughs> yeah. please yeah. tell me how gimmicky that offense is. And, and Justin Fields has been very accurate with the ball. He's a phenomenal athlete in a league where t coaches are getting better and better at leveraging athleticism at the quarterback position. So that that's where I'm coming at it from. Give me your piece. Yeah, and I hear you. Listen, I, I don't feel good talking like I, I, there's a lot to like about Justin Fields. You know, this is just we're talking business. We're yep. talking ball. I'm trying to give you, you know, my positive negatives. Nothing personal. I'm rooting for him. I hope Justin Fields ends up being awesome and shits all over me. I really do. <laughs> I, I hope he does. I'm, I'm not Wait, rooting you don't that. have a personal vendetta? Against Justin Fields? I, I, no, I oh, know. Well, I, I, thank I, you for clearing that up. I, you know, I, I, I just wish, assumed. Guys, I wish I was faster at this, but <laughs> I, I just pulled this up. Trey Lance had 22 dropbacks in a game where his team trailed in his college career. Yeah, I, that's I, unbelievable. The, yeah, that yeah, that yeah. alone so, is scary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So thank anyway, you. sorry. I, I, yeah, that, but, but, but so, like, the Justin Fields, let's go with the positives. Yep. First off, he's built like a Greek god. He's built like Cam Newton. You know, except he's a little little shorter. His running is real. Now, for some of the deficiencies I'm going to hit on in the passing game and all that, you will be able to rely on, like, a legit quarterback run game, I think, early on in his career. Whether that's scrambling or design quarterback runs or anything like that, he's going to be able to do that, which, of course, is going to take a little pressure off of him and maybe some of the things in the pass game. His arm is, you know, 
through the roof strong. He's got an unbelievable arm. But it is a long release, and it needs room. And, yes, there's games where he can piece it all together, and he can throw rifle after rifle and hit the bullseye. But then I can get into other games where I go, whoa, the ball's everywhere, and he can't hit the broad side of the barn. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what concerns me. Now, like, you talked about, you know, the offense and all of that. Yeah, it's a lot of just, you know, one read type of offense. Is that guy open? Oh, he's not. Let me run. Uh, And you don't see a lot of progression as far as in the passing game. It's less than Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. from what I've studied and everything like that. So there's less of that. You know, he can be a little bit when everything's covered. You just go, whoa, don't do that with the ball or don't make that throw. That's a little scary. But there there was too many what I would call slam dunk NFL completions where I just went, holy cow, that guy didn't even have a chance to get a hand on the football. He's the worst short ball thrower, I think, out of any of the guys we've talked about. Shallow crosses, balls to the back, things like that. It's it's 50-50 with some of those type of throws. So there's a lot of good, don't get me wrong. I mean, I see games where I go, wow, he was really had at that game. But he has a very floppy arm. Mm-hmm. So that bothers me. It's like Dwayne Haskins to where Uh-oh. it's hard to piece that together yeah. every time when you're that no. floppy. If you really watch some of the games where things got out of hand too, he lets his feet get real close together. And then he pushes off like he's a pitcher on a pitching mound. Mm-hmm. And to me, you know, it's like the guy with the, the driver in his hand at the golf range, right? You go, whoa, does he swing that thing back wild and aggressive? Whoa, it went 350 down the middle. But then you get to the next hole and you go, whoa, that was 350 and it's four fairways over now. And what do we do now? And to me, there's just not enough consistency with that decision making. And to me, that's, those are things that need to be worked on before I can say, you know, you're in my top four or my top one or two tiers, as you explained, George. Well, and that's why I think he's my answer to which player, if paired with the right team, could have uh-huh. could have success because he reminds me a little bit what you're talking about with when the league was different, you know, you know, in the nineties, eighties and even guys with longer releases like like Randall Cunningham and and guys right. like that could have more success because it was about throwing the ball downfield and less about timing. And and one guy that came up, you know, drafted by Jacksonville, played at Tampa, played at Pittsburgh, Byron left, which was really like the catalyst for being for all of us sort of taking a step back and being like, wait a sec, if the league is transitioning towards a rhythm passing game and you have such a methodical release, you're just always going to be a step behind defenses who are increasingly faster, increasingly smaller. Right. And so when I when I think about fields, I think about like a San Francisco type offense where you're running play actions and the stuff is sort of open for you, right? And the and and you know obviously Shanahan has has had success with guys who could run your know, RG three, and he hasn't had that recently in Ryan or or in Garoppolo. But I, I to me I think that that would be a situation where he would have an immense amount of success early and provide a lot of value. Even if, to your point, he has to grow into that 
you know, quarterback where you give him a second contract no matter what. I think he's sort of right. in that range of can have a ton of success in a good system, but might but would not be able to carry a team on his back like Andrew Luck did early on. Yeah, right. I, 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 that that yes, I think that's spot on. And you know, your thoughts about the 49ers and all that are with you. The, the team I always go to with Justin Fields, you know, is I always look at like Pittsburgh drafting a 24. That to me would be, and again, I, I, I'm hoping Pittsburgh's not going to drop back and throw the ball 50 times a game, five yards short this year. That they're yeah. going to realize, like, hey, look at what Tampa Bay did with Brady. Let's run the ball. Let's protect, and then Big Ben will hit Chase Claypool or Deontay Johnson when they win one-on-one matchups. But that to me would be the type of scenario I would love to see Justin Fields in. Yeah, get there. Continue to work on some of the technique flaws, learn the game, learn how to go to progressions. You know, Ohio State, to me, George, it's even more raw than Clemson. There's too many plays where I go, you know, it's a lot of three-man routes, and we're going to keep six guys in to protect, and he's not really even having to worry about who makes them hot or who's not. And then there's the times where, Eric, you brought it up. It's, it was scary to me, too, where I went, oh, well, he doesn't even know this guy's free on the blitz. Mm-hmm. He has mm-hmm. no idea that this guy is going to make him, you know, he should throw it hot or get it out of his. And a lot of the times because he's such a freak of nature, he could break the tackle and yeah. maybe still make a play and do things like that. But just a few too many plays of that to where, you know, again, I, I just I, I don't think I, if I was a GM, could draft him in the top 10 or 15 mm-hmm. because there is some flaws to work on and – you know, some flaws that I think you're just not fixed overnight. It's going to take a little time and detail to get them right. Yeah, and there's there's also one thing that's sneaky that people I don't think account for, and it's because it's relatively new. The heart, the athletic grit, the athletic mismatch that Ohio State has in the skill position players over every other Big Ten team, <laughs> Ten team. is, is <laughs> wow. immense. And we saw in the in the conference title game when he did not have the weapons that Whoa. he was used to you know, issues. I mean, he had what four yards per attempt for North- Northwestern's defense is amazing. I'm not taking anything away from them, but once you had a well schemed, I mean, the bears wanted uh, Fitzgerald as their head coach after that game, because right. you have a well schemed uh, defense and you take away, you perturb his system just a little bit. Exactly, Olave yeah. is a top 10 player next year's draft. And you take you take away those type of skill position players, and it's just a little rougher for him. Again, I don't think that disqualifies him from anything, but it does no. make you pause a little bit as and look at, oh, this production might not necessarily be exactly what you think it is. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, 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 you know, the Northwestern game, the Alabama game, and the national yeah. championship game, you know, that 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 would scare me. And I'm not I'm not a guy that's all about stats and wins or losses or things like that, but. The decisions weren't necessarily good. The quality of the throws weren't good. I don't care about incompletions like we just talked about. But there was too many throws in the Northwestern game, the Alabama game, where you just go, whoa, like that, he didn't even give the guy a chance. There might have been a, if he threw hit the outside corner here on the plate, he might have got a completion. But it was like, whoa, ball, way outside. You know, it was kind of that. And, it, you know, even in the Clemson game, again, the Clemson game was really good. There's some eye-popping throws. There's also some throws where I go, oh, he hits a go route down the left sideline. I go, that should have been a walk-in touchdown. But the receiver has to fall to the ground to catch it because it's really not that great thrown. Or some other throws throughout the game where I went, 
win. I mean, if he just hits that 10-yard in cut or that 5-yard shallow cross, there's nobody going to tackle the guy. He's going to score a touchdown. You know, and that, and then there's even the, a touchdown pass or two. Like he had the one to the tight end who ran a curl wrap to the left side where, again, it was a, that was a great throw. He throws a missile. But it was, a, to me, a poor decision. So, you know, it's about taking all of that into account. And, again, I, I like Justin Fields. There's a lot of high-end stuff to like. I just think there's some things to work on, and that's why I don't view him as one of the, the four best quarterbacks in the draft. Uh, personal vendetta for Chris Sims against <laughs> Justin Fields. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, I, you know, maybe he, he likes to unbutton the shirt. He likes to let it fly a little bit. Look at you. I was really God hoping that you were going to wear – so I wore a button-up shirt. My plan was to – slowly unbutton as we I went can see through, that. I mean, you are here. As we went through the podcast. You didn't oblige, so we'll have to do this again. I want to get out, get you out of here on this, though. Um, University of Texas. Yep. They've had some, tr- some troubles finding a consistent leader at the head coaching position. Have yep. they ever reached out to you, former quarterback of the University of Texas, uh, about being the leader over there at, at, at UT? No. Well, I mean, I wish they would just call me to ask me advice sometimes. Yeah. That's where I just want to go. You know, Texas has got too many cooks in the kitchen. That's the problem with Texas. There's too many know-it-all billionaires who are trying to tell everybody what to do with that school. And that's the issue with Texas. There's no doubt about it. You know, they, the bill, you know as you know, we're living in a world. The yep. billionaires know everything, right? They know, oh, yes. They know, you know, the climate, the economy, they know viruses, they know everything. They just, because they got a lot of money. They know football, who should be the quarterback. <laughs> and to me, that's the one of the issues down there in Texas. It's a big issue. And no, I don't even get a call. I want to be like, oh yeah, don't listen to me. The guy that's, you know, yeah. been around NFL football his whole life and has all these friends in the NFL that I'm connected with. And there's none of that, but, but we'll see. Maybe, I don't know what, it's, maybe it's we'll get it started right now as Texas. We're embarrassing. That's all I could say. I, maybe we're going to start the Chris Sims to UT. You and, and McConaughey can team up <laughs> and bring Texas back. I also, in doing some research, um, was I found a really funny picture of you and McConaughey. You look like you're 12 years old, <laughs> and McConaughey is giving you a handshake. And, uh, and the, the thing below it is like McConaughey supposedly slipping $100 bills yeah. to, to UT players. <laughs> but, and I was going to say, if you, if you or any of the other players had kept the $100 bill and said this was a McConaughey $100 bill, you could probably sell it as an NFT for yeah. $3 million now. Well, seriously, he's awesome. He was such a great guy to have around the program. Some of my best memories at Texas were Thursday practices, right? You know, uh-huh. you play on a Saturday, Thursday practice is a little easier and relaxed. He would come out and why the team would be doing special teams. That's how we started that Thursday practice for like the first 20 or 30 minutes. He would run around like a little kid and be like, throw it, throw it, throw it. And I'd be throwing the ball to Matthew McConaughey. It was unbelievable. And then we'd get going to practice, George, and we start practicing, and he'd take his shirt off, and, you know, he's got some pecs and some abs, and he would jog around the field and then get to one corner and do, like, 20 push-ups, and then jog to the other corner and do, like, 50 sit-ups. He's such a cool guy. He's, he's uh, one of my that idols. just sounds cool like a guy with a lot of time on uh, his hands. What a <laughs> um, speaking of somebody with a lot of time on his hands, you played with one of our colleagues. Oh, yes. Um, and in yes, fact, the conditions in which Bruce got to play were probably, I mean, you played with a lacerated spleen for a few yeah. snaps. 
which I, has to be one of the toughest things. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's crazy to me. Yeah, it's like when I stubbed my toe and yeah, I yeah, still yeah. managed yeah. to get to work that day. Yeah, so, yeah. Bruce, what was it like to play with Bruce? Because what's your what's your best what's Bruce your best Gradkowski Bruce story? What's there's your best gotta Bruce be story? Oh, gosh, there's so, I mean, Bruce is awesome. First off, he really is. He was always a great friend, supportive. He still is a great friend. I mean, he really good family couldn't be nicer. Um, Bruce is he's he's awesome, and yet. You know, I was dying on the field, and he got to take my job, definitely. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no doubt. My, my best – well, you know what Bruce did? Here's a good one because pro- I'm probably going to forget it, but here's the best thing. Bruce gets to Tampa, and, you know, like he hasn't done Jack Diddley shit yet, right? <laughs> and, we're, you know, there's the rules in the NFL. Like, you know, you're not going to do commercials or do things like that until you've established yourself a little, Right. right? So I'm telling you, like, we're out of OTAs. He's like the third-string quarterback at the time. And I'm sitting there one day on a Saturday afternoon, I don't know, watching, and, like, the local car dealership comes on, and it's Bruce selling cars <laughs> like this. And I'm just going, look at this fucking guy. He's hilarious. Uh, but that's probably my best Bruce story right uh, there. <laughs> Bruce, I will say, like, Bruce is the – the biggest hustler at PFF. I will like the fact like the we'll just be talking about stuff and Gradkowski will be like, yeah, this this uh hos- this um this hospice I own. I'm like, you own a hospice yeah. and a restaurant. He owns like he just has <laughs> the guy and he's good at social media, dude. The guy, yeah, he gets and it. he's good at basketball. I love. Yeah, Bruce. he showed up and played basketball with us in jeans and was the best player. Still my, a good athlete. My favorite Bruce story, Great athlete. Chris, is that when we were in Miami for the Super Bowl. He uh, had a friend who um, was really good friends with the Niners ownership and, and the Yorks and everything. So right. he goes, I'm going to dinner uh, with them. And he comes out of the room. We had this Airbnb. He comes out of the room with um, <laughs> literally dressed like a Niners uniform, like red pants, black shirt, black blazer, Black shoes and I like was, and like a little gold like like yeah, and his like oh, well, no, chain. South Beach over there. Yeah, I got you. It was absolutely. I can, incredible. I can see that all the way from Bruce, no doubt. Oh man, uh, we'll we'll do this again, and you'll wear your burnt orange uh, button up all the way as we get Chris Sims, uh, UT head coach. I'm sure NBC will be really mad at me for starting that rumor, <laughs> um, but uh, we got to bring him back somehow, some way. Chris Sims, you can check him out on PFT Live and the Unbutton Podcast. This was a lot of fun, man. We got to do it again soon. Uh, be well, brother. No, thanks for having me. It really was. It was a great conversation. It really was. I enjoyed it. And, you know, good luck. And uh, anytime you want to do it, you let me know. You get closer to the draft. After the draft, I'd love to come back on. Be fun. Special thanks to Chris Sims. I was a little bummed, you know, that he didn't have, you know, buttons on the shirt. But when some, you lose some. He was rem- remarkably, um, you know, open to, like, discussion. Like, he, you know, I feel like a lot of people are kind of like, hey, I'm different. F, you know, my 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 thoughts are different. Screw everybody else. But I thought he was very measured in what he said, which is, I think, an indictment maybe on the way in which we consume media when he posts his, his rankings and everybody's like, oh, he's just doing it for this, that, and the other thing. When in reality, like, and he talked about how he doesn't really watch college football. So he comes into it maybe knowing less or having dip, uh, weaker priors than we all have. Um, but I thought he defended his his views really well. Yeah, it was it was eye opening, um, insightful, and uh, shockingly, things on Twitter 
do not give an accurate you, representation. You wonder, you wonder of, of how like that. having conversations with people in real life versus looking at how people attack, for lack of a better word, their opinions and measured views on the platform is hilarious. But um, that was awesome. We'll be back on Sunday. We're going to continue guessing win totals. We're going to talk a little free agency. It'll be a lot of fun. Thanks for hanging out. Love you guys. Thank you.